Let me start by asking you a question. What is the greatest fear for you? What's your biggest fear in life? When you type that into Google, it will come up with a ranking list, so to speak, and all sorts of fears that people might have. But the biggest fear um, that comes up is apparently the fear of change. Um, you see, as humans, um, we like to be in control. Um, we like to have it our way in our lives, um, like to be in control for our time. I like that. I mean, people mock me sometimes at QTC for handing in my assignments on time. And, um, but when unforeseen change comes your way um, or our ways, we become afraid easily um, because we lose control. And um, fear of change is the fear of the unknown. Um, it's the fear of losing control. And uh, King David, uh, the author of Psalm 16, he surely had lots um, to tell us about fear in his life. He must felt it when he was fighting off lions and bears when he was a young boy. Um, he must felt it when he was fighting Goliath, the giant. And when Saul wanted to kill him and he had to flee from him. And the list goes on and on and on in his life. David had lots of enemies, at many times he was afraid. But Psalm 16 isn't a prayer that addresses a particular fear in an emergency situation of David, um, as other Psalms do. No, Psalm 16 is a prayer of protection for David's entire life. Because it's addressing a more general fear, an underlying fear that all humans have. Even a mighty king as David. David addresses the biggest change that can happen to your life. And that is to lose it. Um, it's the fear of death that drives him to pray this prayer. A fear which is as old as humanity itself. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden from the presence of God because of their sins, God cursed them and he said to Adam, you are dust. And to dust you shall return. That's when death entered creation. You see, death is an unnatural thing. It's a curse on all humanity. And the Bible calls it the great last enemy. It's a reality we all have to face one day. And we don't know when it comes, do we? You see, David wrestled with this. He talked talks about um, the place of the dead in verse 10 of this psalm. That's the word Sheol, um, the underworld, the presence, uh, the, the, the place of the separation from God. David is confronted with his own mortality. And Psalm 16 is really a prayer journey. David starts with a cry for help, and then he is carried in this prayer by eagle wings of God's grace, from a fear, away from fear, to higher and higher altitudes of confidence until he reaches a peak. And from that peak he can see the fullness of joy and everlasting pleasures at God's right hand. But how did he get there? And why can we pray Psalm 16 with even greater confidence? That's what we will be looking at today. So... 
we will be following David's prayer journey in four steps, seeing first how he takes refuge in God, then second, how he finds contentment in God's providence, and third, how he is counseled by God, and lastly, how he has confidence in the faithful one. So, to start first, what's the thing that David does when he is confronted with his own mortality, confronted with the fear of death? The first thing David does is he turns to God. He cries out to God and he says, keep me safe, my God. Preserve me, my God. Protect me. Watch over me is the idea here. For in you I take refuge. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. Apart from you, there's no good thing. Confronted with, his, with this reality of death, David doesn't fall into despair or sorrow. And he also doesn't rely on his own strength. Now what does he do? He, he the king, humbles himself, acknowledges his mortality and weakness. And he turns to the eternal and almighty God of the universe for help. Um, he knows that in God he will find refuge, a safe haven, protection, divine counsel, and divine guidance. He says to God, you are my Lord. You're my sovereign. You rule over my life. My life, my time on this earth is in your hands, God. And it's safe there. And on the flip side, that means the king... David, he acknowledges that he himself is only a mere servant, a servant of God and in need of help. You know, it's, um, it's easy for us uh, to say, God is my Lord or Christ is my Lord. It's easy to confess that on our lips to other people, but it's much harder to say that to God and to mean it. And David knows by saying, you are my Lord, he's giving up self-control, self-reliance. That thing that we were talking about that we hold so dear as humans. To say, you are my Lord, means self-denial. It means to put someone else above you. Yes, you give something up. You give up your self-confidence, uh, your self-control, uh, but what, what, what do you gain by it? You gain access to the treasures of God's kingdom. Taking refuge in God, putting your faith and trust in him, means having access to all his gracious and good provisions. And once you tasted these treasures of God's grace, you will be able to say with David, apart from you, God, there is no good thing. I don't want anything else anymore. Because you are the fountain of all goodness. Now, God is uh, not only the fountain of all goodness, but he's also the giver and taker of life. So taking refuge in God also means to have access to life. And we will see about that later, so stay tuned, as they say on TV, I think. But once you enter into God's refuge, David says you will realize something else as well. You will realize that you are not alone on this journey. 
There are others too. In verse 3, David says, I say, the, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. You see, in God's presence, if you, if you are in God's presence, you're also connected to the people of God. One goes with the other. You can't separate them. Loving God also means loving God's people. And Christ will later call this the two greatest commandments, right? And when David sides with God's people, he says, this is where I belong. This is where I feel at home. I delight in God's people, he says. They are precious in my sight. He calls them noble, honorable, or magnificent ones. They are like precious jewel to him. He keeps them close and he wants to be in their company. And taking delight, loving God's people, doesn't that also mean to delight in serving them? Doesn't it mean to find joy in meeting together and worshiping God with one voice in unity? And isn't that exactly what we're doing here right now at church? Gathering as God's people under the authority of our Lord, guided by the Holy Spirit, we come into His presence and we exalt Him and magnify Him. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? You know why? Because it's a picture of heaven. Look around you. These people who are sitting here, you will spend eternity with them. So, should I dare to say, I mean, you better check if you delight in them now. <laughs> but think about it this way. You and I, we are sinners. We are all sinners here in this room. And we know that. But as Christians, as a Christian, you will also be glorified one day. Made perfect, a shining light in the presence of God. And if you see your brother and sister also from that perspective, from their glorification backwards, rather than from their sinful nature forward, surely you will be able to say with David, I delight in them. I belong to them. They are precious to me, here and now. So what do you do when this fear, this fear of death, comes knocking at your door? Do you turn to God and to his people in these times? Or are you more like the people in verse 4? Those who run away and run after other gods, those who will suffer more and more. They do not take refuge in God. They do the opposite of David. They run away from God. Literally, they haste from one God to another, trying to find comfort there. They are restless. And what they really find is one disappointment after another. Because they will realize that their self-made gods cannot comfort them. Sorrow upon sorrow is piling up for them. That's self-inflicted pain and suffering. But they also heap up God's wrath for them. Because they commit idolatry. Do you see that in verse 4? They pour out drink offerings of blood. 
This is an abomination in David's eyes. Why? Well, because according to the Old Testament, it was forbidden to drink blood. Blood was used to make atonement, but never for drink offering. These people are breaking God's law and practice idolatry. And idolatry, running away after other gods, that's the one thing David never did. We know he was not perfect, yes, but David never worshipped other gods. Instead, he separated himself from them and he hates them so much that you wouldn't even take their names into his mouth. These are two very different pictures, right? On the one hand, we have David who turns to God, finds protection and security and delight in God's people. And on the other hand, we have a world that runs after other gods. It's a suffering world. It's a restless world. A broken world. A dying world. And that world is the world we still live in, isn't it? Not much has changed in 3,000 years. But let me ask you, how are you coping with this restless and broken world around you? The news are full of scary headlines. Not too long ago, it was all about climate change. Then it was COVID. And suddenly we, we all had this death and our own mortality on the forefront of our minds. But it didn't last very long, did it? And now we hear about wars and rumors of new wars. It's a broken world that we live in. Well, many people I talk to, some of them are scared, yes. But I think most of them, they're just tired. They're tired of hearing this. They don't want to hear about wars or COVID any longer. And especially not about their own mortality. They are restless. They are starving for joy and pleasures. But they don't turn to God for that. They seek refuge in a world of distractions. Fleeting pleasures. Whether that's sport, gambling, gaming, binge watching, you name it. As long as it keeps me happy. That's the slogan of our world, isn't it? But let me just remind you of Paul's words, and we heard them last week at KPC Night Church. The present form of this world is passing away. Distractions don't change this fact. You see, the pleasures of this world are fleeting breath. And death is a constant reality. When I last checked, I mean, um, the facts still remain the same. Ten out of ten will die. That means you and I, we will die one day. How do you cope with that reality? David didn't turn to the pagan world around him because he knew it has nothing to offer that God cannot offer him. And that's not found in God. Confronted with death, he was seeking protection but he was also seeking satisfaction and contentment for his soul. And he found it in the providence of the eternal God. And that's our next stop on this prayer journey. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. 
David says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Do you see how David's attitude has changed already? He started with a cry for help. Now he shows contentment and satisfaction with what God provides for him. The language David uses here um, reminds us of the book of Joshua. You know, the tribes of Israel, they entered the promised land and they were given portions of the land and their inheritance. And the boundary lines, they were determined by sacred lot. It was a way of determining God's will. But David isn't interested in land here. He says, God, you are my portion. That's an interesting phrase because... Surprisingly, David sides here with the Levites. He sees himself as a priest, a servant in God's presence. How do we know that? Well, because he echoes what God said to Aaron, the high priest, in Numbers 18.20. He said there, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion, your inheritance among the people of Israel. That's what David says. God is my inheritance. You alone are my portion. And you see, David takes refuge in God's presence, delights in God's people. And he says, whatever comes my way in this world, however poor my condition... I have you, O God. I want to be close to you as Aaron was to you in the tabernacle. You are my portion, my cup, my inheritance. I need no other. I trust you that you will nourish me because all goodness is found in you. And we often sing this too here at church, right? We sing, my soul is satisfied in you alone. So are we like David, a priesthood chosen by God, who accept that our life is providentially ordered by him? How good is it that we can know that there is no luck in life? You are not left to karma. These are pagan principles and concepts. God is the one who is in charge. He knows the number of your hair on your head. And he has numbered your days as well. You see, the word providence, it comes from the Latin word providentia, and uh, it means foreknowledge. Um, And over time it was mixed with the English word provide. And together, if you put them together, To be content with God's providence then means to trust that God, in his foreknowledge and wisdom, will provide for us. He will give his children what they need. And the time of our life on this earth is in in his hands too. David believed that, and so did Paul, who said in Philippians when he was in prison, I learned to be content 
in whatever situation. Both Paul and David trusted that their destinies are held tightly in the grip of God, a wise and caring God. And for both of them, the outcome was the same too. We know that in Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, there's lots of joy, right? It's filled with joy and rejoicing. And it's the same here with David in Psalm 16. But before David is lifted up to this peak of his prayer journey, from which he can see the fullness of joy, we get an insight into how God is counseled, how, how, how David is counseled by God. And this is our next stop in this prayer journey. David continues like this. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will not be shaken. David started with a cry for help. But now he reaches an altitude of praise for God. What we see is upward praises for inward instructions. It's a two-way relationship. David is in sync with God here. He praises God and God speaks to him at night in his quiet time, presumably through prayer and God's word. And David is listening to him. He is counseled by God. He is taught and corrected by him. And he is set on the right path by God. Really, David is a Psalm 1 guy, isn't he? You know, the blessed one who takes the light in God's word and meditates on it day and night? That's the picture we get. And as a result, his faith and his trust in God, they grow stronger and stronger. You see, God and his counsel have an effect on David, on his mind, his heart and his will. Verse 8 literally says, I have set the Lord before me continually. David is intentional here. His will is affected. He looks not to the left or to the right or backwards. David looks at God and God looks at him. You know, they are in sync with each other. They are like, like a father and a son sitting on a swing in the summer evening watching each other. The son with his glaring eyes towards the father and the father with eyes of love, wisdom, counsel and protection. You see, David's fear has given a way for assurance and confidence. He says, I will not be shaken because God, the God of the universe, is at my right hand. He's my counselor. Whenever I need him, God is right there at my right hand. He's leading me. He is, God is a good shepherd. You remember these words? He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your star, they comfort me. These are not mere words for David. That's a reality for him. At this point in the prayer, David lives and breathes the air of God's comfort and assurance. 
There's no sign of fear anymore. Matthew Henry, um, a commentator, a Puritan, he, he comments helpfully at this point. He says, we must thankfully acknowledge the power and goodness of divine grace directing and enabling us to set God before us. If, he, if we have the pleasures of it, let God have the praise for it. And that's exactly what David does. Enjoying the pleasures of God's grace, he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. David is now at a point where he's reaping the fruits of faith. He's tasting the cup of joy. And it's to the point that he can't hold it inside of him anymore. He's breaking out in praises with his tongue rejoicing. So you see, protection, contentment, assurance, they are now mixed with joy, gladness, and thankfulness. What a beautiful mixture that is. What a cup to drink that is. Compare this to the ugly cup of verse 4, the cup of blood that the people in verse 4 want to drink. And how full the cup is of joy that David is to drink. No wonder David says in Psalm 23, My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all days of my life. Do you want to drink from this cup? Don't you want to drink from it? I want to drink from it. Instead of this cup of fear and sorrow. And filled with this gladness and rejoicing, David now reaches the peak. And from this peak, David can see something in the distance. Something glorious. What is it? It's the glorious triumph of God over death. Instead of fear of death, David can now see the path that leads to everlasting life. Listen to this. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, David is not talking about some protection, some one-off protection from some enemy. No, this is the defeat of the last enemy. The defeat of death itself. <clears throat> Pardon me. Look at it again. David is talking about a faithful one who will not see decay whose soul will not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. And he sets this in contrast to the path of life, which leads to what? Not any joy, not a fleeting or incomplete joy. Now this path of life that David sees leads to the fullness of joy and to eternal pleasures at God's right hand. But let's stop here for a second. Because you might say, how is this even possible? This is 1,000 years before Christ comes. Well, do you remember how Moses died? 
how Moses went up to Mount Nebo and uh, he saw the promised land in the distance and he could not enter it, right? David is a little bit like Moses here. He is lifted up in his prayer to the peak of everlasting joy. God makes known to him the path of life. He sees it, but only in the distance. He sees the faithful one who will conquer death, but David knows that's not him. Because God already told David that he will die and that he will be buried. But God also gave David a promise. And I'll show you that here. Um, in 2 Samuel 7.12, God said to David, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, this is death for him. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your flesh your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And this kingdom is later to be called an everlasting kingdom. With a king who will rule forever. And here in Psalm 16, at last, David can see this king. The faithful one who will see no corruption. Why can David see him in his prayer? Well, Peter and Paul both tell us in the New Testament why. In the book of Acts, they both quote Psalm 16, and they both say that David is not talking about himself here. They say David is talking as a prophet. They confirm that David died, was buried, and um, saw corruption. They even told them, look, there's his grave. Go and have a look. The bones are still there to this day. No, David wasn't talking about himself. He talked about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He sees Christ and his tomb is empty. The faithful one who conquered death once and for all. The one who died for your sins and mine on the cross. The one who drank the bitter cup of death so that we can drink this sweet cup of everlasting joy in the presence of God. Christ died. So that you can have life. You know, there's a story of a man uh, who met a pastor uh, at a new church building. And they had no cross on the top of the church or inside of the church. And um, so the guy asked the pastor, where's the cross in your church or on your church? And then in the blink of an eye, this pastor said, it's in the preaching. And I agree with that. I think that's right. That's where it should be. But that's not where we stop, right? We don't worship a Messiah who's still hanging on a crucifix. We worship the risen Lord. What would be the cross without the resurrection? We worship Him who rose on the third day, who sits now at the right hand of God. We worship the one who said of himself this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? These are Jesus' words. That's what Psalm 16 is all about. Death could not hold Christ down. He is risen. And because he rose to glory, we will rise too. If you are in Christ, 
united by him with faith, death has no grip on you. But let's be clear, the process of dying might be still painful and scary for some of us, but as a Christian, it's not without hope. For the secular world, death is a door that shuts out all hope. But for a Christian, death is a door to everlasting pleasures and joy in the presence of God. So if you're here today and you don't know where you're standing, Christ is inviting you through this word to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. And so don't put it off. Christ says now, today is the day of salvation. So take refuge in him. And if you have done it already, let me tell you, David saw the defeat of death only from a distance. But it filled him with immense comfort and joy and thankfulness. How much more can we as believers be filled with joy? We stand on the other side of the cross. How much more can we pray this prayer with confidence, knowing that Christ is risen, that his tomb is empty? How much more can we sing with Paul, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.